Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST 36, the October Faction record. First time that we're really getting into this band. Very interesting and weird recording. So really looking forward to discussing that. Um, I had a quick spiel before we get into that, Brent, if that's okay. Yeah, I have one too, but go ahead. Okay. I just wanted to mention this uh, book that I picked up. It's it's a big, thick, hardcover book, and it's kind of a summary, or I guess uh, a compilation of this hardcore fanzine from the 80s. It's called the Tri- Triple X Fanzine, Okay. Hardcore and Punk in the 80s. It's by uh, Mike Gitter, who put out this fanzine, and it's edited by a guy named Chris Wren. It's really cool because it has a ton of SST stuff in it. Oh, yeah. It's got a, it's, yeah, it's got just a ton of SST stuff in it. Um, and they, they reproduce the old fanzines, which is very cool, of course, just to see that old cut-and-paste um, type of zine uh, writing back then, which I'll, I'll always have a soft spot for, but it goes through a ton of bands. Like it even has Metallica in it, but it has um, like Circle Jerks, Husker Du, Black Flag, DOA. Let's see, we were talking about Seven Seconds on the last podcast, Scream from Discord, uh, Minuteman, Dead Kennedys, Dicks. Henry Rollins, Husker Du, SNFU, Descendants, Bad Brains, Dag Nasty. Uh, just keeps going. Tons and tons of articles. Blast. All. Um, and the cool thing, though, is it ha- it reproduces these zines. It, it like basically photocopies them and reproduces them. Is this, like, all- is this like one specific zine or just various yeah. zines? Yeah, no, it's one specific zine called the Triple X fanzine. Okay. And and in it, though, the cool thing is they reproduce all the zines. And in the margins, they have like modern day interviews with those artists. So, for example, they reproduce the Circle Jerks interview from 83 or whatever. And then in the margins, there's a modern interview with Keith Morris. Oh, cool. In there. Um, and so they do that with Husker Du, all these bands. They And it has kind of, you know, I don't know, I guess kind of like an old school type of zine style where they have, you know, record reviews, scene reviews, live show reviews. And it's amazing to read through like kind of the reviews of some of the records that we're, we're going through on this podcast and some of the bands too. Like they just talk about, you know, the tour where it was Minuteman and Husker Du, for example, and seeing that gig, and it was just a mind melter, you know? So, good recommend on that book. I would uh, I would suggest you check that one out. Okay. I have something to say about a book, too. I got a Bruce Duff, The Smell of Death update for you. Actually, it's more of a... <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a correction. Start... I have to correct you. You have to correct me? Well, maybe correction is the wrong word. I have to clarify something. So Yeah, please do. Please. So you had said, I was curious when 
when you told me about this book, I remember you said something about uh, it's really hard to follow. I can't, I'm paraphrasing, but you said it's hard to follow because he gives everybody nicknames. Yeah. So one of the guys is he calls Rat. That's yes. That's Mr. Rat Boy. That's not a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> well, who is? Hey, but I asked you, who is that? Who is that? Uh, Mr. Rat Boy is this dude, uh, Gilbert Avondet, and he was in a bunch of bands, including Jeff Dahl's band. Uh, he was in a band called Pillbox, another band called Mo Motorcycle Boy that have a really cool album called Popsicle. Uh, which was produced by Sylvain Sylvain. But my favorite band that he was in is a band called Sour Jazz. Do you want to know what Sour Jazz sounds like? I think you do want to know. I, uh, if it's metal, then no, but go ahead. No, it's not metal. So you know that Iggy Pop album, New Values? Do you know that album? Yes, I do, of course. Yeah, it's a great album. It's got like James Williamson and Scott Thurston, who was in like... Well, both of them were in the Stooges at the end. Scott Thurston, I think, was only on like Metallic, Metallic KO, and a bunch of like the, the stuff that came out later, like on Bomp and stuff. Uh, but can you picture how that album sounds? Yes. In oh, your yeah. mind, that's yeah. it's like Sour Jazz said. Let's make multiple albums that recreate that album. <laughs> like in terms of style or sound both and they've got albums like lost for life is an album <laughs> no values oh man another one called rock and roll lager l-i-g-g-e-r i have to be very specific there and uh another one called american seizure oh gosh like, you know american <laughs> caesar the iggy pop album yeah 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 but they're cool they put their own stamp on it, and Mr. Ratboy is the guitar player in that band. Mr. Ratboy. Yep. Not a nickname, but his real name is what? Gilbert Avondet. I'm, okay. I might be saying that wrong with more of a en français. I think he's a New Yorker, so. Yeah. I just remember Bruce Duff's descriptions of him being hilarious. Yeah. So far, I'm really loving that book, so. I know. I mean... I haven't read it for years. I almost want to read it again, but I've got a stack of stuff I've got to read before that. Yeah. Do you want to get into October Faction? Yeah, I think we better. Okay. History Lesson, Part 1. October Faction. We have mentioned it a number of times on this podcast coming up as kind of like a Black Flag SST jam band. But now we can get we can dig a little deeper now and kind of figure out what it's all about. I don't know if you want to kick it off, Brant. Um, you probably know a bit more about this band than I do. Yeah, I'm going to tell you... Well, I'm going to start by reading a quote in Spray Paint the Walls that kind of sets the stage for where we're at here. Um, he's talking about uh, all the Black Flag releases that came out in 84. It says here, this approach wasn't limited only to the Flag's discography. As the label grew in strength and capital, SST began to sign more new groups, including a series, a series of in-house side projects and friends bands, such as Dez's DC3, Chuck's October Faction, and Swa, and Tom Tricoli's Dog, all of whom had material they wanted to release. So here's Joe Carducci. At a certain point in 1985, I told Greg that we had cash flow now 
and any band he wanted to release, he could. I told him, I want to hear it just because I'm interested, but if he wanted to do it, we could do it, no questions asked, because I always considered it his label. So this is, for me, like there's a shift starting now in the label. Within a year, Black Flag's coming off the road, and Greg's going to have more of a hand, I would say, in what's going on at SST. And we're going to start seeing some of these uh, pet projects coming out. Yeah. Some, some of the less famous bands and releases that um, come out, some of the stuff that doesn't necessarily have the best reputation, too, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say some of the stuff that's famous for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Did you uh did you see the the discussion of October Faction in that Husker Du book by Andrew Earls? It kind of relates to that. It says um th- this is around this time like starting in 85. He says SST held college radio stations and record stores hostage by threatening to hold back prime product unless those stations and stores played and ordered titles by this is what Andrew Earls says, the unsellable and in some cases unlistenable. And he, and, but I disagree with his list because then he lists St. Vitus, DC3, SWA, Worm, Angst or Angst, October Faction, Sacred Trust, and Overkill. And what he says, um, and this is a Grant Hart quote, he says, because we could work fast, that's who's do. It gave SST the advantage as far as collecting bills was concerned. If you want the new Husker Du, you're going to have to pay for the old Saccharin Trust and all these other ones. And he mentions, of course, you know, how Worms, Swa, DC3, October Faction either featured Gin or past and present members of Black Flag. Yeah. So, yeah, we've referenced that quote before for sure. I I also disagree with his list, but I. I understand his sentiment, like even, you know, some of that SWA stuff and like uh, Tom Tricoli's Dog, for example, which I really like that album. Um, Me too. And and Worm and Saccharin Trust, like I like a lot of those bands he lists off. Yes, so do I. But a lot of people didn't. Yeah, well, they weren't Black Flag or the Minuteman or Husker Du. And if you're not, you know, the Holy Triumvirate, I'm just going to go and listen to the other really famous hardcore bands of the day and not maybe not kind of get into the less known stuff yeah whereas i mean for me i would back you know back when i was a kid i would just see the label sst or alternative tentacles or discord and touch and go and if if it was under whatever money i had i would just take a risk on it yeah there's a mark arm quote in this book too in the spray paint the walls book where he says something like you know, it used to be so consistent. If it said SST, you knew it was going to be good. And then that stopped being true. <laughs> like those, are, that's, those are my words, not his, but that's the general sentiment. That's the he sentiment. Was, yeah. Well, so, a lot of people, a lot of people on social media, when they're commenting on this podcast, you know, we're getting into 1985 now. They all say, good luck getting yeah. past 1988, right? I always, you know, look, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's going to be some stuff we get to that's going to be hard to listen to. 
But there's a ton of great stuff after 1988. And the one thing that I always think up in my mind, and I've never really mentioned it before, is one of those days when I had just enough money for another tape or disc or something like that, I did just buy something that has had SST on it by a band called Transition, which we'll get to you know, in three years from now or whatever. But I still love that record, and it came out way after 1988. I would say the late 90s and the 2000s are probably way worse than anything we're going to find in 1985 but and here's and here's the other thing too i mean we're on episode 36 greater than 50% of everything that we've listened to thus far is either black flag minutemen and husker do yeah and there are very few bands that have as consistent of a catalog as those bands right yeah well you, uh, you mentioned 1985, but I'm going to take you back to 1984, Ryan. We're going to get into the, into the history here of October Faction. Or, Do it. Or The Faction. The Faction, exactly. Yeah, as they're not to be con- confused with Steve Caballero's The Faction. <laughs> <laughs> Did they ever put out anything uh, other than like on Thrasher tapes? Yeah. yeah Did they have an album? Uh... I'm not super familiar with their albums. I have a lot of those skate rock tapes, and their songs yeah. are actually always good on them. There's a few that are really good, except especially later, they kind of became a bit more of like a crossover band almost. Like metal? A little bit. Not like uh, not like Suicidal Tendencies or something, or DRI, but maybe a little more rock almost. Have you seen what those like Thrasher tapes go for nowadays? It's insane. Oh, really? I've got almost all of them. What do they go for? Uh, they go for like 80 bucks a pop. Oh, wow. Well, I'm not yeah. selling mine. Yeah, well, it's a retirement fund, I bet. <laughs> okay, so 1984. We've talked about this before, but in the fall, the Olympics were coming to Los Angeles. And I think Linda Kite mentioned this, mentions this in her interview, too, where she's like, I think she went to Florida or something like that. Yeah, everyone left. Time to get out of Dodge. Well, it sounds like the cops were like really cracking down, trying to like uh, clean up L.A. for all the tourists. They saw the writing on the walls or the spray paint on the walls, I guess, and they they all wanted to leave town. So Flag booked another tour, and uh, it sounds like it was maybe hastily assembled. And so they often had three band bills, kind of a... A first band, for example, Nig Heist, what is common re- commonly referred to here in Canada, I think I think this is a Canadian term, specifically a, a Vancouver term, a pig fuck band. You ever heard that before? Yeah, or, oh yeah, like a fuck band. Yeah. For sure, because all those bands like DOA, Subhumans, Pointed Sticks, they all would just switch up members and play shows that were just obnoxious. Yeah. So I think that's, you know... Nig Heist definitely falls in that category. So they they couldn't they didn't didn't want to do Nig Heist on this one or something, but so they had uh Saccharin Trust was kind of the the main support bat, uh act. So Greg and Chuck asked Joe Biza if he'd be interested in just going out and jamming prior to uh Saccharin Trust set. He he was into it and Chuck asked Greg Cameron to drum who he'd been he'd been jamming with and uh that uh, those jam sessions would later turn into SWA. So I did a little uh, digging around on Greg Cameron. I'm going to tell you about him. He was 
apparently in a band that you know way more about than I do because I know you're a huge fan, and that's Chemical People. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure what, you know, how much of a role he played in that band's history, but that comes way later. He was also uh, played with Jeff Dahl. So there's Jeff Dahl again. And he was in a band that, I don't think he was on this release, but they were on New Alliance briefly, a band called the Nip Drivers. Oh, yeah. I love the Nip Drivers. Yeah. So he met Greg and Chuck through through Bill, uh, who he, and he met Bill through Ray Cooper. And apparently Bill had asked Ray to sing in The Descendants when Milo went to college, and Ray did two gigs on vocals, and then he switched to guitar. Did you know that? Sorry, say that again? That uh, Ray Cooper did two gigs on vocals in The Descendants when Milo left? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe they, maybe they mention it briefly in the filmage documentary. There's a bit of a schmozzle there when Milo first leaves, for sure. Yeah, well, anyways, then he switches to guitar, and then Bill leaves to join Black Flag, and the Descendants kind of fall apart. Sounds like they maybe tried to uh, keep Descendants going um, with this Greg Cameron, but it just didn't work out. He was like 15 years old and, by his own admission, a, a novice. And uh, when you're replacing Bill Steven Stevenson, that's uh, obviously tough shoes to fill. And uh, Ray uh, is later going to play in SWA also. And uh, so after Chuck left Black Flag and stayed in the office, he had reformed Worm. Greg Cameron was jamming like in the basement or whatever of SST or in another office. Like they, at this point in time, this was during the Unicorn stuff, and they had an office with a jam space in it. And Chuck would go. He was starting to complain about the Worm guys getting flaky about jamming, which is maybe why uh, Worm didn't end up really going anywhere that's just an assumption on my part and he starts jamming with Greg Cameron like here he's hearing him play his drums in this other office or whatever and he just goes and starts jamming with him and uh, so that's kind of the start of SWA Chuck brings uh, Greg Cameron into this this jam band this October faction I don't know if they had a name yet and Ted Falcone was in the mix. I don't. He was never a man, a member of uh, of October Faction, but he was he was jamming with those guys. Ted, of course, is uh, is famous for being in Flipper. Yeah. And it sounds like he maybe was an early member of what would become SWA. I don't know if they were actually called SWA when he was jamming with them, but so the first show that October Faction played was Greg Cameron's first show in front of a crowd. And that was at the Metro, the first show of this tour. The Stone Show in San Francisco uh, was the first week after the, the the 84 tour ended. They would do these Frisco weekends, they apparently called them, Black Flag, where they would just go out to San Francisco and play for the weekend. So this October Faction album was recorded the same night as Live in 84. So the legend goes, yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately for Greg Cameron, he had the flu. Apparently it was going through the band at the time, and he got it and the day before the show. Chuck didn't tell him that he was going to replace him the night of the, the show with Bill Stevenson. So it's Bill on the record, and apparently uh, Greg Cameron was pretty bummed out for quite some time about that. The, the, album was record the debut album was kind of recorded without him. Without him, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like he might be a sound tech now. Greg Cameron. 
I'm just speculating because apparently he did front of house for the uh, Black Flag that Cats benefit show, kind of the first reunion show they did. Oh yeah, with Greg Ginn actually in it, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's who Greg Cameron is. Just to mention though about Greg Cameron, Cameron, I can't help but point out liking Chemical People. Yep. I'm pretty sure he was he was their last drummer. Oh okay. Like late '90s, I think he was in the band for a moment because. The chemical people, the, like the sound, for me, is Dave Naz on drums and vocals. And that's that's kind of the core albums for chemical people, for me anyways. And Greg Cameron, I'm pretty sure he would have been on the very, very last stuff. And I don't even know if he was even on Arpeggio Motorcade. But um, I had no idea. That'll, that'll, I'll look into that. Yeah, I don't know uh, chemical people very well, but... For anybody who doesn't know, most of their stuff, I would say, Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, was on Cruise, which is uh, a Greg Greg Ginn label that came out. Yeah, had a lot stuff of mostly in the '90s, I would say. Hey, uh, well, mid '80s and into the '90s on Cruise for sure. Bill Stevenson produced at least two of their records. I'm pretty sure. Um, you can definitely hear a a Descendants influence in their sound, but also the last on yeah. their earlier records as well. Um, but it's like, it's just really good kind of surf pop punk stuff. Cool. And, and, and of course like Dave Naz and Ed Ehrlich, I'm pretty sure they were the first rhythm section in down by law, which was Dave Smalley's one of, I, I'm pretty sure it was his first band after all. Yeah. I mean like a lot of that stuff is kind of, well, there wasn't that many bands on cruise, but I've always liked big drill car. Who's definitely has a, huge all influence yeah uh so anyways that they do their first show the uh october faction their first show i mentioned that was at the metro they do it as an instrumental band and the next day they're in the van driving to the to the next show and in his own words this is how he describes it tom tricoli starts howling along to alice cooper's killer album which is a great album uh, in the van, and Chuck said, pipes up and says, you should sing with the October Faction. We need a singer. So that's how uh, Tom Tricoli comes to be in the band. And Tom, Tom Tricoli was like a merch guy for Black Flag and a roadie. The lines were really blurred back then. It's not like it was now where you've got like a tour tech and a merch guy and a tour manager. Uh, back then, if you were on the road with Black Flag, you were like, you know, a merch guy... <laughs> quite possibly in one of the bands one of the opening bands and uh yeah if you weren't in the band you could be anything else and in one of the opening bands yeah so tom's gonna sing the rest of the tour for all the shows and they did a handful of shows after the tour like i said before august 29th 1984 was recorded same night as live in 84 and uh, it was during this time that tom tricoli became known as the dog king and apparently, <laughs> apparently, dog was a slang term given to weed by Slovenly's Rob Holzman. I mean, we'll be talking about Tom Tricoli's dog pretty soon, but this is definitely like a big period for drugs in the band. They're dropping lots of acid. There's a whole episode of the Henry and Heidi podcast that everyone should check out where Henry Rollins talks about uh, his experiences on acid. I think the next album we're going to get to is The Process of Weeding Out, which is famous for being having a few different meanings 
the t- the album title, one of which is a, is a reference to to pot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how the band got started. All right. Well, let's start talking about the release itself. History lesson part two. A good place for me to start, anyways, is just the jacket because there's a ton of info on there. Yeah, so the cover art is drawn by Joe Biza. Yeah. And it's good. It's, and it's, it's great cover art. It's crazy. Yeah. And you can, this is one of those ones where you can look at for a long time and see a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, so like, let's see if, let's see what you can see. According to Tom Tricoli, there's lots of inside jokes drawn into the cover that only uh, fellow band members would get. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, well, you, you can see a few right off the bat. I bet you. Do you want me to point out a couple? Sure. Okay. Probably the most blatantly obvious, I, I guess I would say, is, and it, it should be noted that Joe Baez's drawing actually has Greg Cameron on the cover, although he doesn't perform on it in because Bill Stevenson covered for this set. But across Greg Cameron's shirt, it's a, it has like I guess his his nickname. The Nazi sex doctor. Yeah. But also on other shirts, on uh, Greg Ginn's shirt, it has the black flag bars, but then below it it says ink. So it's like black flag ink. Yep. Like incorporated. Yeah. Chuck has got, you know, it almost looks like a Hawaiian shirt, but it's probably people on there. But it's kind of like the type of shirt you see him wear nowadays, in fact. Mm hmm. Joe Bies has got almost like a Mexican or kind of Aztec pattern shirt. And then Tom Tricoli, I don't know, you would know better than me, but I think that's a Grateful Dead shirt. The skull with a like a lightning bolt on the forehead. Yeah. Isn't that Grateful Dead? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now that's just the shirts. That's just the shirts. A bunch of other stuff, I probably don't know what the inside jokes are, but there's a ton of stuff like in the background, there's a big mountain a moon. Joe Biza's hands and fingernails almost look like pointy fingernailed witch hands, and he's holding a candle. So it's interesting that Joe Biza would draw himself that way, I think. Chuck's fingers are all weird <laughs> with his hand. Uh, Tom Tricoli's holding what could only be a joint. And then uh, elsewhere on the picture, it's hard to tell, but it looks like like buildings from, I don't know, I could be way off here, but it almost looks like they would be from Chinatown or something like that, the buildings. And then a, just a bunch of snow or something in the picture. So it's super detailed. There's probably a ton in there that we don't know what's going on. Yeah, for me, I mean, we'll get to the music in a minute, but for me, the cover art's probably the best thing about the album. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the cover art on the back too. Actually, yeah, that's drawn by Davo, aka yeah. Dave Clausen, aka Dave the Driver. He was a roadie, and I think we've talked about him before. Black Flag roadie, and later for the Meat Puppets. I think he played in the uh, Nig Heist, and he, I'm pretty sure, plays drums on Tom Tricoli's Dog album. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know, I really like the image. It's kind of, I mean, there's lots of artwork out there, I guess, that's kind of like this, where it's a bunch of bodies or faces all kind of blended into each other and just totally screwed up long noses two heads sharing the same eyeball 
it kind of looks like something that someone would draw on their notebook in high school, but it's a really good one, you know? Apparently Chuck had told Davo that that was going to be the cover originally, so he's a little bummed out that, that Joe Baez's drawing made the cover and not his. Well, I can tell why Joe's made it the cover. Yeah. It's a perfect drawing for this cover. Yeah. Where did you hear where did you hear that Davo's bummed out about that? Tom Tricoli. <laughs> <laughs> Should I start going the, through the credits? There's a ton. Yeah. Okay. So, but we've kind of covered some of it already. Um, as you mentioned before, recorded live at the Stone in San Francisco, August 26, 1984. And then top to bottom. Greg Ginn on guitar, Joe Baza guitar vocals, The Duke Chuck Dukowski on bass and vocals, Tom Tricoli on blues harp and vocals, and apparently uh, Tom had the wrong the wrong harp with him, and that's kind of why it sounds like pretty dissonant, I would say. The yeah. harmonica playing on the record, the wrong one with him. Wrong key. Uh, yeah. Wrong key, exactly. Dave Clausen, mixing board meister, that's Dave-O again. Bill Stevenson drums, Henry Rollins on percussion. Apparently he was in the back kind of beating on Bill's floor tom. I think we talked about this during the Live in 84 album that I think he, I think he gets either gets credited as percussion or you can see him in the video uh, during one of the instrumentals beating on something. Yeah, so on the video of Live in 84's I Won't Stick Anyone, you can see him and dot, I won't stick anyone dot, 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 of course, because that's a, a long name. Um, you can see him banging on the floor toms and cymbals. Okay. And apparently he did that on October Faction as well. Uh, live engineer Steve Corbin. You know who that is? That's Mugger, yep. Yeah. Mixed at Radio Tokyo. And it's interesting. Um, it says <laughs> T-O-K-O-Y-O. So it's like mixed at Radio Tokoyo Studios, bit of a typo maybe, yep. Venice, California. Mixing engineer Ethan James showing up again. So he would have just mixed the live tapes, obviously. Yeah, exa exactly. Mixed by Dave Clausen, produced by the October Faction, executive producer Nixon Management. Who is that? <laughs> I don't know. This guy, Dale Nixon, is in all sorts of bands these He's days. He's got his fingers in many pies. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Speaking of which, management. Nixon management. So Nixon management is, a, is the executive producer and management. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, front cover art, Joe Biza, back cover, Dave Clausen. And then there's a quote on the back, and it says, quote, he who would trade freedom for security deserves to lose both, end quote. George Washington. Okay. I don't know what pressing I have, but there are no run-out grooves, and uh, we might as well try and get through the songs. It ain't going to be easy. Lay them on me. I got some notes. I should say, Ryan, that uh, some of the information I'm using tonight, I got directly from Tom Tricoli. So I want to thank Tom for... Uh, for answering all my stupid questions about nitpicky details that are interesting, probably only to me. Yeah, but hopefully, absolutely. hopefully, other people. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that, Tom. And just in case 
you know, those folks out there, I, I'm pretty sure Brant and I are going to agree on what we think about this record. And there, there might be some out there who disagree with us, including Tom Tricoli. But just so you know, Brant and I both love the Tom Tricoli's dog record. So that ought to make up for it if we're, we're not super huge fans of this one. Tom's a great, a re- Tom's a great guy too. So yeah, it's yeah. this, this record is a really, really weird listen. Um, I kind of marveled at just, I guess the, like the don't give a fuck about it. Ness of this record. I, I did kind of appreciate it for that for sure, but let's go through the songs. Okay. Lay them on me and I'll tell you, tell you what I've got on them. If anything. Okay. All right. So on side one, Song number one is It Don't Mean Shit. Next. <laughs> you have nothing on that one? No. After all that wind-up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, gosh. It can only get better from here. Yep. All right. Uh, the second song, Todo Para Mi. Okay, that's got some of that wrong key harmonica. And yep. I'm pretty sure it's Chuck Dukowski singing while Tom Tricoli's playing harmonica. And he's kind of chanting the title of the song. And so I noticed that that track is credited to a guy named Jesus Navarra. So I asked Tom, like, but then, so this this Toto Paramia in a way different form and vastly improved form is on Tom Tricoli's Dog album. But on yeah, there, it's, it's credited to Chuck and Tom. So I yeah. I asked uh, Tom Tricoli, is Jesus Navarra like a pseudonym for Chuck Dukowski or something? And he said, uh, no, Jesus was some guy that Chuck knew from a job somewhere who used to wander around muttering the phrase under his breath. And so Tom mistakenly credited the lyric to Chuck, since that's where that's where he learned it from. Uh, he says, it's a great Chuck lyric, even if he didn't write it. So mm-hmm. I, I assume they're just jamming that song. And Chuck just starts saying those words, Toto Paramia, you know, recalling this expression that this guy, Jesus Navarra, used to say at some yeah. job Chuck had some at some point. Yeah, Toto Parami, I think is what oh, it yeah. is. So, yeah, you're right. I'm just looking at Tom Tricoli's dog. Yeah, it's the same on both. Yeah, I don't know. Yep. What, I don't know what that means. I'm assuming it's like Spanish or something. Yeah, well, and, hang on a second. Toto para mi actually means all for me, I believe. Okay. In in Spanish. And I'm pretty sure this is the song where he uh, introduces the band. And Tom says it was considered very unhip at the time to, like, do that, to, inter- you know, on drums to do that. Yeah, well, uh, that's pretty rock. That's pretty rock star in the punk scene, right? Yeah. But in his words, he was so proud to be up there with those guys. And uh, he wanted everyone to know it, <laughs> which is cool because they're, yeah, that's... you know, so he's Joe Biza. He gives a shout out to and Joe Biza just shreds on the guitar after that. Uh, Bill Steven, he says Bill Stevenson for the sex or for the Nazi sex doctor, which is uh, great Cameron at the board is Mr. Meister. So I asked him if that's a nod to mugger or to dave and he says that's a nod to mugger at the board no it's it's dave no i asked him and he said it's a nod to mugger at the board mugger was doing live sound remember we talked about this 
during uh, the Live in 84, because he's credited on that album as well. But on the jacket, it says David Clausen, mixing board meister. Yeah, I know. But And are, are you saying that the shout out to mixing board meister was to Mugger? Yep. I know it says, I know on the back of the sleeve, it, it says something about Dave Clausen being mixing board meister, but it also says Steve Corbin live sound or something like that. Does it not? Live engineer, Steve Corbin. There you go. So in this, right. in this instance, he is the Mr. Meister. <laughs> Whew. That's pretty good. Uh, what's next? You, comma, me. Nothing. Keep going. Trail of Tears. Uh, Tom says you can hear him toking along in time to the music on this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well... The thing that came to my mind with Trail of Tears, it sounds nothing like it, but that's a really good song on a record by a band called Geronimo Black. I don't know if you know Geronimo Black. No, I don't. Uh, that's Jimmy Carl Black from the Mothers of Invention's band after he was no longer with Frank. Okay. That's a good record. Well, yeah, apparently, right. apparently Tom used to roll around all around on the floor and like smoke pot and stuff during shows. Man, I was... I wish I could have seen that. Yeah. What's next? Side two. The first song is 10-hour drive. Yeah. I got some lyrics. These 10-hour drives are killing me alive. 12 guys locked up in one van, tighter than sardines in a can. Hmm. I did not catch that when I listened to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next song, Give Me a Quarter. 25 cents for the bus. Yeah. Uh, more harmonica. So while Tom's blowing harmonica, I'm pretty sure that's Joe Biza. It sure sounds like him. And I'm pretty sure he's credited as a writer on that one. I think that's kind of how they split the writing credits. Yeah. October Faction slash Joe Biza. So he was probably, you know, ad-libbing that, that stuff. The Gimme a Quarter for the bus or whatever, whatever the song title is. Yeah, and then the last song is Bad Acid. Apparently the uh, the lyric in there where Tom's going, I can't see, I can't see, I've got my eyes closed, is a Three Stooges routine. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, hey. That's that's the October Faction album. Yeah, there's, there's no run-out grooves. The labels on, like the vinyl, kind of carry the... I don't know what kind of font that is, like Old English or whatever. And that's where you can get the song credits. You know, copyright 1985, Sestone Music, copyright 1985, SST Records. So I don't know, maybe I've got a later pressing or maybe they just didn't get around to it on this one for runout grooves. My copy's really beat up, though. I don't think they repressed this, man. <laughs> yeah. But I have to say, Ryan, um, so... A long time ago, before I knew you, some friends and I were uh, partaking in various chemicals and uh, having a jam session, and we made an October Faction style album. Oh, Just, I played some. I played some October Faction style nights in yeah. in uh, in basements for sure. Yeah, and we recorded it, and I haven't heard it in like. <laughs> a really long time uh but i remember thinking it was pretty great at the time i bet it's not 
Is that is that the dog breath tapes? No, this is later than that. This is a okay. I think we called ourselves half empty or something like that. <laughs> it I remember at the time thinking it was pretty awesome, but is that name is not very awesome. No, it's not. <laughs> um this all album is not that awesome either. Yeah, I can appreciate it for the unbridled enthusiasm and every now and then Chuck and Bill lock in and you're like, Okay, okay, here we go, here we go and then it just goes into more kind of yelling and dissonance and so yeah. it's it the, doesn't the really thing is like I'm a gin guy and Joe Bys is awesome too, but I don't even really get off on them that much. Yeah. There there were moments where I could hear you know, some Bill Stevenson isms and I was like, okay, I, I gotcha. But it's just a little over the plate, all over the place. And don't get me wrong. Like I, I like experimental music. Um, I have a fair amount of like honest to goodness, you know, free, free jazz or uh, yeah, like pretty out there stuff. And so I can appreciate this record in the same way. But it uh, it just didn't grab me. Not nearly the same way like something like Tom Tricoli's dog did and and still does, for example. Yeah. Well, you can't really compare the two, in my opinion. They're totally different no. bands. But yeah, I listen to lots of like free jazz type stuff. And this, I, I listened to it four times this week. I can honestly say I'm never going to listen to it again. Yeah, I was, I'm sure hoping... Um, you know what the ballot result is because I couldn't pick one. So what I did, Ryan, was I put all <laughs> the names in a hat, and I'm going to pull one out. All right, is that let's how, get does that work for that, you? That works for me. So let's get to the ballot result. Literally. Oh, please let it be bad acid. <laughs> ballot result. I got. Give me a quarter. Twenty-five cents for the bus. All right. Let's hear it for Joe Biza. Yeah. What's next week, Ryan? So next week, you mentioned it before, it's SST 37, Black Flag, The Process of Weeding Out. Another very divisive record. Yeah. I land on the other side of the equation for that one. I love it. Yeah, me too. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. 